Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. This is Pod Have Mercy. So, so let's get started. All right. Hey. Hey, John. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome. <laughs> this is episode 21. Woo! And after episode 21, which now our podcast is legally able to imbibe. Yeah, we can. We're going to take a couple of weeks off before we start. Can we call them seasons? Season one. We can call them whatever we want. In the bag. Yeah. So, uh, you know, 21 episodes, we've talked about a lot of things. We thought we might kind of look back and things that were meaningful for us and all that and maybe look ahead as well. But, yeah, I mean, and just talk about kind of what's going on in the world. You know, we, we talked about monuments and statues and things in the one of the previous podcasts and Jeff decided to cut all that out. So I'm thinking maybe he made him a little nervous. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Jeff, you're only as good as your sensor. It was for time purposes <laughs> only. Sure, sure. That's what that's what he says. That's what a good producer says. Sorry, but we just didn't have time. We just didn't have time. I think there are things that are appropriately to be displayed in museums places where we remember our history. I am, as a history uh, buff and studied history, that I do think you forget your history, you're doomed to repeat it, the old yeah. you know, adage goes. Yeah. So you need to learn from your history. And so, but it do, do some of these statues belong in, the, in what's called the public square, or the public mm-hmm. sphere, yeah. where they are then given a certain legitimacy or status so if you put it in front of the courthouse you know a general from uh, a battle of an opposing army that fought against the united states right then what do you do now the hard part is if we go back i can you know confederacy to me you can make you can make an argument you don't have to agree with the argument but you can make an argument and say existed for five years. They rebelled against the United States of America. They tried to break up the experiment that we started long ago that we celebrated this weekend with the release of Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> did you see that? Maybe I did. We, should, we watched it. Maybe we should talk about Hamilton. Oh, it was great. It's good. I, w- I was blown away. Like I wasn't... I Have was, you not seen it before? No, never saw it. Yeah. It's anyway, good. So, maybe point being two. made, and then I'll be done, is that... When then do you go back and say, okay, well, George Washington had slaves, Thomas Jefferson had slaves, yeah. uh, John Adams had slaves, or whatever, or I don't know if Adams had slaves or not, but honest, I know Washington and Jefferson did. And then, you know, what about Andrew Jackson, who was president when the Native Americans were moved out of their native lands? I mean, so at some point, I do think there's an argument that people on... Uh, the side that are afraid to see these things go. Sarah, what's, what is the line, what line? I mean, who then should we do away as, as we saw? Should we just name everything like innocuous car names, like Sintra and Electra and Blue. Acura, colors. you know, and have no statues. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's the right way to go. And so I remember a history professor of mine always talked about the pendulum of history swings. And what happens is the pendulum will swing, and it will swing all the way up until it hits sort of that crescendo, yeah. and then you'll get a reaction to that history. And you see that move in civilization yeah. goes back and forth between That's conservatism, true. progressivism, liberalism, um, as it relates. And I think we're in the we're just in the middle of a moment now that is a reaction to a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. And so I think we're just trying to find our footing in all yeah. of this. Yeah. That's really that's that's really a hard question, you know, because there's something I've got some personal views on that, but I also wonder, like, I don't even know what question to ask around it, you know, be, because in some ways, <clears throat> should those things be up? Should we, I, is that the right question? Because it feels like that that's almost a distraction to, like, maybe not a distraction, but I'm I I feel like that in some ways if we were to do almost like therapy on our culture right now, it's almost, it's, it's like, that's a question we may want to ask after we do some other work around how do we come back together? What's that about? How do we grieve? What are, you know, those kinds of things. It feels like that everybody's kind of pulled into these Mm -hmm. kind of polemics and everybody's outraged, you know, 
Oh, on all sides. Everybody's out. Yeah, <coughs> and on I all think sides. <laughs> that's something that you and I have tried to talk about, if people are listening, is that this uh, countercultural nuance is something yeah. I think Jesus is leading us yeah. into. It's both and. Think about the essence of Christian faith. Jesus is very much about, I mean, or, or let's just talk about the, 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 the Bible. The Bible is very much about justice and care for the poor and the widow and the orphan. That sounds very progressive or liberal in its ideological or, or, or theological makeup. At the same time, the Bible is very much about sexual purity and no sex before marriage and that two become one and they remain one flesh until death do them part. Well, you start looking at that and it becomes a very conservative, that's a very conservative point of view. Yeah. So when you look at the Bible, and especially the teachings of Jesus and Paul and the church, you can't say conservative or liberal because the, the teachings of, of our faith uh, are, in, are in both spaces. That's the nuance. Mm-hmm. And I think now the danger in our society is that people do not allow themselves to do the work of nuance. They don't allow themselves that space. And no. so it's got to be, oh. it's either got to be tear down all the statues and all of the, everything of anyone that had any questionable history yeah. or the other extreme, these are extreme sides I'm defining, or the other says, we're going to protect all of these, you know, no matter what. Yeah. And then they start name calling each other. And yeah. it's just, there's yeah. no work in the middle yeah. for us to do in a healthy way. Yeah. You know, it's been interesting for me because I haven't known a lot of the history of some of the monuments and those, particularly the Confederate ones, um, or really any of them. You ask me about when they were made, I have no idea. But to realize that just it's interesting that that they were a lot of them were set up during Jim Crow. You know, like, oh, that's that's interesting to me. I don't know what to do with that. But they they weren't they they happened 100 years or 70 years after the uh, the the war was uh, the civil war was fought. And so it's interesting to me that, that just when those things came up rather than, you know, what to do with them, you know? And so I think that, I think we're in a place right now culturally where we're deconstructing so much. Um, and we don't know what's going to be constructed out of it. And I think that that's why uh, what we've talked about before, kind of our spiritual core, I mean, our spiritual, I've realized the last couple of days I felt spiritually dry and I just need to <clears throat> double down on kind of leaning into God's spirit more, kind of doing more of those, those things that take care of my soul because I think culturally we're going to need to have some resources to be able to, um, to look at wisdom with things uh, and to look on these cultural things we're up against with some more wisdom because we are in a reactive time uh, where, where everyone um, is outraged at, at, uh, at everything. The problem is we've become overly dismissive of the, because we're in a reactive time, both sides become overly dismissive of each other because we are, we are overreacting. We're, we're reacting. And I know a lot of people would, would disagree with me saying overreactive, but you're in a, it's just, they talk about, it's just human nature 101. When you are reactive in the moment, you operate in whether it's family systems or organizational systems, you're operating out of emotion. Yeah. So you're not, the thinking is processing. It's just like whenever you get angry about anything, whenever you get, whenever you go to the grocery store and there's, you know, all the lines are long, you know, and, and you're waiting and you go, you got 15 items or less and you go and the guy's got a, you know, a hundred items. Start counting in that moment, up. you said, "Yeah, I've never done that." Start in that moment, that up a you don't um, you don't process in your mind. You know, maybe his mother, elderly mother, is at home and he's shopping for her. I mean, no, you don't. You don't say that. You you go off on them. You become you indignant. Uh, it's like people that you hear about people yelling at each other. You know, wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. It's just it's become this extremism on both sides either or and if you're doing it you're one thing and if you're not you're the other thing and we've lost the ability to have conversations about um things now one thing i'll say and then i'll be done with the monuments i uh, uh, if you, there is an article that actually robert e lee penned uh, a paper and 
he was one in, in his writings. He wrote in 1866, there was a proposal. He said, as regards the erection of a monument, there was a talk about a potential Stonewall Jackson monument. He was a general. And actually, Robert E. Lee was opposed to it. He said, my conviction is that however grateful it would be to the feelings of the South, the attempt in the present condition of the country would have the effect of retarding instead of accelerating its accomplishment Mm -hmm. and of continuing, if not adding to, the difficulties under which the Southern people labor. He went on to say that he felt like it would contribute to uh, divisiveness and it would not bring unity to put up these monuments uh, around the Confederacy. That was in a proposal he wrote in 1866 because he felt like you shouldn't put these monuments up to the South for him or for anyone else because it didn't allow the country to heal and come back together. It perpetuated the division. And if it helps there to be more unity among us to love one another more fully, then it doesn't mean, you know, I, I, I would prefer that there be a process by which we could with civility remove these some cities have removed, chosen to remove the statues and place them in a, in a, sac- or a special place, not yeah. a sacred place, but a special set-aside yeah. set place for the purposes of remembering the history uh, with also context given. Yes. Like, when was this statue put up? Yeah. And you'll recognize a lot of it was in the early 20th century as a perpetuating or um, permissiveness to Jim Crow segregation. Yeah. yeah, but a lot of people don't know that. You know, it's it's interesting. This um, this discussion also taps into something of folks that I've really loved that have, um, like, uh, you know, um, one of my heroes um, that I've read probably every book he's written is Jean Vanier. You know, and and the discovery that Jean Vanier had. Uh, had been acting out sexually with folks within his organization after he died that kind of all the stuff kind of came out. So it's like, you kind of like, what do you do with that? You know, it's that, that really difficult space of saying, I've, you know, I, I feel attracted to this person and they also have struggled with these things, you know, and it's, uh, how do we hold these, the light and the darkness together, you know? Um, and I, I, I still feel like it goes back for me, like to what you're saying, is how the the core of this has to be, at least for us as Christians, has to be how do we love the world and each other? Um, how do we perform that love in ways that are self-giving and canonic, as Paul says, that giving up of and emptying ourselves into for the world? You know, um, I don't, I don't think that we draw lines in the sand. And you know, pick up arms against each other. But I think that there's, you know, this this deep calling of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers. I think um, the the big challenge that you and I will discover and face, and that as we go forward, not only in society but in within the church, is that our society is becoming less uh, religious, more secular, and so the church now is relegated to uh, its ancient position as. Mm coming from the margins and the sideline. We're not the predominant cultural voice as much as some people would like for us to be. That's really not the reality anymore. No. And so the, the voice we have to proclaim cannot be the voice that reaffirms a cultural That's power really structure good. and political structure. That's right. We have to come from a countercultural yes. perspective. We will be prophetic. We will be disturbing. Yes. And many people who have sat in the pews for their whole lives are going to find churches to be more and more disconcerting if they're at the right ch- kind of church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you think we'll find that the church is either kind of doubling down on this kind of cultural, you know, um, um, this kind of cultural thing about we are the center, and, and other churches will oh, realize yeah. that, oh, wait, it's fluid, it's spirit, it's in, we've got to be much more... You see it now. Yeah. Look at, and it's the big, the big I think... Thing in our culture has been around what people they use the term uh, Christian evangelical, which you need to define the terms because the way I define an evangelical is someone who believes uh, that a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is a central part of your faith characteristic. To be 
born anew, born again, born from above. Okay. And in that sense, I am, I am an evangelical, but I am not a Christian evangelical in the sense that some people talk about like Jerry Falwell Jr. over at his yeah. university who, you know, approves of everything the government or the president says at all times, every yeah. way, and says his own stupid stuff or whatever. To me, there's a, there's a, there's, ever since the fourth century, when Christianity became the religion of the empire, we have had a really difficult time dancing uh, on the edges of being in the center of the culture as far as power structures and, and the, the secular political government and trying to also be that prophetic voice on the mm. edge. And I don't know that you, you can really do both well. Yeah. It's like when you go, look, I, look I, grew, I grew up in a church where every weekend on July 4th you had the Patriotic Pops concert and you had the Yankee Doodle Dandy and you played the Marine Corps and the Navy yeah. and the Air yeah. Force and the Marines and the flags Coast Guard galore. and everything and the flags were yeah. marching in and all that kind of stuff. I mean, honestly, I, st- I like that stuff. <laughs> I love that stuff. But I don't, but, but I think there is a time and a place where can we, at the center of the culture, where the church is a is in the center of the culture and can participate in a way and stay prophetic, I'm not so sure that we're in that place anymore. I'm not sure that we were re- really ever should have landed comfortably in that space, right. but I can see how in our history we could operate from within that space and still push us to the highest ideals of what not only the Christian faith, yes. but what our country is about. Yeah. Yeah. Now I see we're so divided and so separated that uh, Christians are going to have to mm-hmm. make a choice. They're going to choose to be a part of a faith community that's willing to be countercultural really and speak to the powers and the principalities that, that are not biblical in this sense. Or they're just going to jump on a church that sounds that sort of aligns itself with all the Echoes cultural the, yeah. echo chambers of some partisan loyalty and is just is co-opting in some ways the faith for some hybrid kind of thing that's more civil religion than it is gospel faith yeah. You know, um, as as we've talked over these last twenty one episodes, twenty one episodes. Um, <laughs> one of the things that that I've been confronted with feels like eight hundred. It does. I guess twenty one. That's not right, Jeff. It's got to be. <laughs> we've been doing this at least for like three years. <laughs> that it it feels like that what we're after is a is a maturing faith. A faith that, that is like the way I um, what what Christian Wyman says is if 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 I believe what I believed at fifteen, what I believe at fifty, <laughs> I haven't grown, right? There's a sense in which my faith, if I if I'm affirming the same structures, the same things at fifteen as a faith person, the, that that what I did what um, and I. I project that to where I'm 50. That's not. There's not been growth. I think about fowler stages of faith. Yeah, and and I wonder if in so many ways we are in a young experience, an experiment as a country, and if what we're being called at this kind of inflection point is to grow, and we need more nuance, we need more space to understand each other, we need more curiosity at a very time where all that feels like it's being sucked out. And Christians are going to be challenged. Uh, American Christians are going to be challenged yeah. to continually test our loyalties. Yes. What has our highest loyalty? Because when the gospel message is proclaimed and it confronts uh, your political partisan ideology and you find yourself now angry at and all of a sudden now you have to do something with that. So what do you do with it? Well, I put it in this pot. You must be, I mean, I've been accused of being a liberal Democrat, and I've been accused of being a closed-minded conservative Republican. And again, as you go back to the gospel, right. there's both, as you would define, those terms are not used in the Bible, no. but they're very progressive socially, uh, what you would define as liberal things about the teachings of the gospel, and then there are very conservative yeah. things about the teaching yeah. of the gospel. Yeah. And so if that doesn't fit with your secular political ideology, what do you have to do? Well, now you got to start doing some mental gymnastics, right, Right to make this 
work in your world so that it doesn't just take the, instead of going, hey, that really uh, screwed up my whole worldview <laughs> and uh, let me wrestle with that. Yeah, right. Let me wrestle with why that is, that something that Jesus taught would challenge the way I view like politics in the world and, and, my, and what I say and what I think. And we don't do that. We just immediately dismiss what it is that's not reinforcing our own worldview, which is why I think what I see coming in the future, if we talk about, can Come we on. just, can we do prophecies? Come on, bring it. Like, here's what here's. I see. I, prophecy. I what COVID will do, what <laughs> pandemic will do is first, you, you will see more and more people will leave their current churches. And they, if they go to another church, they will more align with a church that shares their secular, political, partisan, ideological worldview hmm. than to seek out a church that says, and what they'll say is, because that's, that's the first, that's, that's what they want to align with. And once they get to that church that reaffirms their secular, political, partisan, ideological worldview, okay. they'll get there and they'll go, this church... Now, preaches the word of God. Now this, I'm getting fed here. This church, <laughs> this church, this church preaches the word of God. Well, I always am skeptical, you know, when people say that. It's like, oh, so preaching the word of God as you want it to be preached. Yeah. That's great. Now we have lots of different denominations and we have different types of churches and we say and do different things in different ways because we do read the Bible differently. Yeah. People are going to have to make up their minds where they're going to land on that. But I hope and pray that people will allow themselves to be challenged. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm loving about being at Chapwood is the fact that we are leaning into, like we've got this amazing root system as Wesleyans, right? I mean, um, Wesleyans were, I mean, at least the, our denomination was birthed out of a lot of social disruption that was attempting to create community among those places that were being socially disturbed and saying, wait, um, um, God is here and we can come together in ways around spiritual kind of disciplines around serving each other, serving a world that's distinctly different. You know, so we've got a root system and I, we're leaning at, at this, at least in our local congregation, we're leaning to the future saying, God, you also come to us from the future, not just from the past. So what does it mean for us to be faithful? Right, not just faithful to maintain something that's always been, but what does it mean for us to be faithful into the future that you're calling us into? And um, that's the space that um, I get, I get excited about and afraid about. You know, that uh, what's God, what, what what's God, what's God up to? What's He calling us to? Thinking back over the last twenty episodes of things we've talked about, what stood out to you is, as as. Um, I don't know, memorable or there's a couple high. I mean, this there's a couple. One I really enjoyed, like Mark Boom came on at a time that was yep. like super helpful. It was right at the beginning of yeah. this growth of COVID. And just to have someone with expertise that's like really a non anxious presence that was just very helpful. That was and your relationship with him um, um, has been something I think for our church has been like a, an anchor point, you know, as you talk about dropping an anchor, it's like, okay, here's somebody, here's wisdom that's in our midst we could listen to. The other was when we talked to the, um, the chaplains as well. Oh, Stacy um, and yeah. Bob. I, I loved, um, I loved listening to their stories and just realizing that, that, that kind of, um, pastoral care, like was happening, the way that they were innovating spiritual care for folks was really touching mm -hmm. to me. Yeah, I mean, I think back on, you know, the episode, we started this thing, and we were going to talk about the church and go in the future. We had, you know, just think about the, the, the problems that we were dealing with at the, when we started this. And then COVID, and then uh, the economy, and then really the race that Oil. I think Cleve and Christian yeah. me visiting yeah. with us, having huge. conversations, hearing from friends of ours who are black in this country who are pastors and, and just educators and just, um, to hear, I think, you know, I mean, I've, I've known Christian a long time and I think I heard the way that he said things very differently in light of where we are than I may have before. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, again, my, my antennae, my ears are 
engaged in a different way. Yeah. But that was helpful for me. Yeah. It was helpful for me. The biggest thing is, and I've seen Christian live this out in, uh, because many people at Chapel would know him and love him. And I know a lot of been asking him and the same thing. It's like, you know, don't ask me to do your work for you. Yeah. You know, I've been working this and laboring in this race issue my whole life. Yeah. And I think Cleve said something like the same way. We don't necessarily have to be friends to be allies, but also we've got to do our own work. We can't depend upon uh, Christian or Cleve to clean everything up for us yeah. and make us feel okay and explain yeah. everything and us. That's right. I think that's been the biggest work, uh, for, uh, the biggest help for me over the last five or six years as I've waded into this is to realize that, oh, there's all these books, there's all this learning, there's all this journey that I can go on that that um, is, is a spiritual journey at its core. And that I think the church right now is being called to, in, in so many ways, to look at, to amass knowledge so that in the future we can begin to use that as whatever God is constructing out of uh, what will come, hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. I think the podcast has been great. And I think one of the things when you talk about what does the future of the church look like, when we come back in a couple of weeks, I'm sure we'll have some conversations around that and continuing current events and things that are going on. But, you know, it, it always amazes me how everybody wants to get back to normal. They want to get back to normal. And I think if you get back to normal, you're regressing. Yeah. You're moving backwards. Yeah. This is going to change everything. And anyone who thinks that a vaccine in December is going to, like, flip the switch and everything is going to go back to the way it was, you're going to have some people that may never come back to church regularly. You're going to have some older adults that may not come back for a long time. Um, I think about some older adults that may not be in the church again before their life is over mm. um, because of the that. amount of time. I mean, yeah. it'll be a year or more. We think about, I think about the other night we were at, at talking about what does Christmas Eve look like? Right. I mean, Easter is a really big Sunday in church. But I'm telling you, Christmas Eve... Oh, that's 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 the that's the granddaddy of that, all. That's the Super Bowl. Yeah. Everybody thinks Easter's the Super, the Super Bowl. Bowl. Easter is a Sunday morning. Christmas Eve is all day. It's evening. It's candlelight. It's singing. There's the memories around your family connection that yeah. I think go deeper and penetrate it into the fibers of your being. Yes. That if that doesn't happen or you can't come or it can't happen in the same way, I think will be very. Um, I can be really traumatic for people. Yeah. Traumatic for us. I mean, think about in the past, we've had to have like 18 services. <laughs> I don't think, praise, <laughs> praise the Lord, we won't have to have that many <laughs> anymore. That'll be great. But I'm thinking about the, the way that the church is going to now digitally be engaged and people are going to be engaged in a digital, and you can actually ramp up digital engagements. You can expand that yes. easier than you can things physically in person. So this podcast to me is like one leg of what is the future way of engaging and conversing and learning and engaging Absolutely. in nuance and all these sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole new menagerie of things that we're going to have to keep trying and pushing out and ways of connecting and you know, I'm I'm going to be interested to know the interplay between like the technology and then the ways that we gather. You know, like is the, the technology about kind of information and and those kinds of things. You know, sermons, those things. But then, how do we then? Ga is there going to be new ways of gathering? Will it be in people's backyards? Will it be smaller groups? Will it be? How will we do that? What what? Because I know that even the the week that we met, um, a couple weeks ago, the practice run. the practice run. I, it was like Michelle and I came and we sat down and it was just like, like, it was just so good. Like there was something in my heart that was like, like water was flowing into this dry ground. And I, you know, both of us were tearing up, you know, it goes back to that collective, oh. uh, sacramental mystical yeah. thing when people gather together. It's the reason why you love to go to a an Astros game or a <laughs> UT or an A&M football game. And you get it. I mean, I don't even root for those football teams, but 
I remember the first time I went to an Aggie game, and I thought you you, you can't yeah, help but you just can't get, help me when they put when they throw their arms around your neck and start swaying back and forth, and I don't know what they're singing about sawing some, some poor old cow's song. You're in it, horns off or something. <laughs> but I mean, when they go through this, there there is a liturgy. Yes, it's the work of the people in this moment that is so conditioned down in your DNA. And even yes. though I don't know anything about it and I'm not an Aggie and I don't understand it, I'm in the moment yes. and I'm swaying back and forth and some, you For feel a moment, something. you're an Aggie. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I mean, it's, you, but you feel it. You can't help yeah. but. No, so it doesn't true. matter whatever. It's like you think about college football, which by the way, we might not even have, but you think about all of the traditions that you're steeped in yeah. and the things that, you know, at the end of the at the University of Georgia football games, at the end, the band does the concert and they do the uh, the, the battle hymn of the Republic, you know, slow. It, it, during the game, it's like, every time it's like, da, 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 da. but at the end, it's like a very slow orchestral moving. I mean, people are brought to tears yeah. by the playing of the song at the end of the game and the football players gather in the corner and, you know, it's just, it's every school has their thing. I mean, we are... I mean, I, I think about um, a, what a professor said to me one time, that there's no substitute for flesh, right? Like there's no, and, and in fact, like it's like you said, it's in our, it's in the way we're designed, in our very DNA. I mean, the, the God first, drew it up that way. Yeah. The Not first, only created us uh, to be together, but then comes in flesh. Yeah, that's right. Flesh. And the, and the first problem, I think, in Genesis wasn't sin. It was I, human beings being isolated. There was no counterpart. There was no flesh in my flesh, bone in my bone, you know? And so I think, I think that's, I'm interested in seeing how we gather, what that's going to look like. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm You'll never lose physical gathering. You know, there was an article that I, I, I think I sent you. There's, you'll never lose physical gathering at all. It, it will. It, it's going to come back. I mean, we will be back and gather again. But I, th- I think, like you said, it's going to be very different. Uh, we're going to be thinking more in terms of a lot of churches. Sunday morning church, Sunday morning worship, was the centerpiece in what it did and what it offered. I mean, everything was everything a church did revolved around Sunday morning worship service. Now I think you're going to see, uh, which I think is a good thing, and I think this is the problem that a lot of people, or should I say problem, the struggle that a lot of people have, which is why they want to have church back again. Yeah. Because it is so deep in your, the fiber yes. of your being. And you really yeah. do miss it, and you really are aching and longing and grieving, and you don't even know. But But in some ways it's also because we... We, we have not taught people sufficiently that church is much more than that yeah. one hour on Sunday morning. Yeah. It's actually a very small part of what we oh, are and what we do. Right. And yet it's become the, 95% yeah, of what we are yeah. and what we do. Yeah. And so when that's not happening, people think the church is not in existence. It's not working. It's not, it's not active. It's not, it's not open. Yeah. And that's not true. I, I wonder if the church, partly of where the church will go is to be a resource center for um, um, like a re- almost a regional resource center where folks come to learn, they come to be equipped. You know, all these kinds of things are being pushed out. You know, um, it it really is about what you've talked about before. It's really about the impact that a local church has on um, uh, on its zip code and the zip codes around us, mm-hmm. right? So that if a church were to fall in on itself, would folks within the community rise up and say, "Wait, we need you. What you've been doing, who, what you've." You know the the ripple effect of of why you're here and what you do while you're here is absolutely essential for who we are as a as a community. You can't go anywhere. Yeah. You know, I think those are the kinds of churches that. Um, um, I, I what I love about being at, at Chapelwood yeah. is, well, let me let me start by saying this this wilderness that we're in, COVID mm-hmm. wilderness, along with all of the other things that have happened, it really does uh, sap the water from your soul yeah even though you might not be physically as busy there's just there's an emptiness you can't really put your finger on it you can't describe it you just know there's something missing there's a void and it's almost like you're wandering in the dark in the darkness and you're trying to get some gauge some bearing something to give you a sense of direction to move in and it's like you don't have that 
And I was texting with someone this morning who was saying, you know, what, what does the future look like for the church? And, and, and I, he said, how are you all doing at Chapwood? I said, well, well, on the one hand, we're like most anyone else. We're trying to keep our head above water, mm-hmm. and we're fumbling around in the darkness. Yes. But on the other hand, I think God has opened doors for us, and I think it's always one of the things I've loved about this church is that whatever we've done, it's always been rooted in our unique history, the embodiment of grace. I think your involvement mm-hmm. like in starting Mercy Street, mm-hmm. the way that happened, the way we've done worship communities, the yeah. way we've been very intentional not to cookie cutter a video in pastor so that everything is you know, mm-hmm. culturally, you know, homogeneity, everything looks and feels and tastes the same, but this broad diversity that we've yes. birthed yes. with uh, the upper room, with Mercy Street, with the Center for Contemplative uh, you know, Christian Spirituality, Fairhaven, Generaciones, yeah. uh, yeah. our partnership with Spring Spirit, the teen and family services, I mean, on and on and on, and you yeah, go yeah. through this thing and you're like, that's not your typical um, growth model. It's not your typical church model. Right. It's, it's like almost, I know people, when they look at our model, I've had people tell me, that's, that's really not sustainable. It's not controllable. It's too chaotic. And that makes me happy. Me too. I think <laughs> God's up to something there. <laughs> that shouldn't work. <laughs> but what I look back on and I think about, okay, through the merger or the hybrid models of things uh-huh. that we've engaged in, like with Spring Spirit, I look now and I say, these are going to be the doors that we're going to, the, 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 the pillar, the foundation that we're going to build on going in the future. So I think you see a lot of hybrid church social ministry models yes. taking place, which we're not going to be afraid of or opposed to because we've already done that. Yeah. And so, you know, when you're in ministry with another nonprofit, Spring Spirit, that we kind of help birth their separate 501c3 and they work and, and swim in a different realm. And yet, we have a staff person there and they work with us and we work with them. And you're like, wait a minute, what are the formal lines that are drawn there? It's like, well, you know, we, we kind of just let that, you know, bleed in and out. And people are like, well, that doesn't make sense. You can't control that. It's like, yeah, it's the whole point. It's like, we go wherever it, it takes us. And then uh, it, it grows and it expands, leads us in new directions. And I think that's going to be the future you're going to see is a very different way of the church being the church in the world. And so it's less located in a physical building, which we're learning now. Mm. But we're having to be taught this the hard way. Yes. Through denial. This is what fasting does for you. Yeah. We are actually in a period of fasting from the physical location, the physically located building, which is culturally oriented around Western civilization that the church has to be constructed, the cathedral, the building. And we have to go to that to remind us to point upward. Think about architectural styles, the way a church is constructed with the high vaulted ceilings and the cross and the nave and all of the imagery of architecture is to take you out of the world and bring you to a physical location so you can be reminded of heaven, reminded of spirituality, Mm -hmm. reminded and pointed back to. And now what's going to happen is Okay, it's not going to be physically located culturally. You're now going to have to learn to find that in the places and the spaces where you find yourself. That's right. And so it's going to happen at Spring Spirit. It's going to happen at MAM. It's going to happen in, in new ministries that haven't even started and been created. Mm-hmm. Restoration team yes. that came out of Hurricane Harvey. That's right. Then now it's separating to its, a, a separate 501c3, which could evolve into a, a networking ministry that works on those who are in, in our community that, that are in housing vulnerability or their houses are collapsing around them and you need a ministry that churches can participate in to help people keep a roof over their head right that's going to be as much if not more church and not just oh here's chapwood and we have this little ministry over here i'm not saying we ever think of it as a little ministry but the way we view things is here's the church here's the steeple open the door and there's all the people that old imagery is going to be totally reshaped, recast in, a, in, a, in the new world. Right. You know, it's interesting to me that when I uh, kind of 80s, 90s, there was all this idea about the attractional model or the secret sensitive or all those kind of things. And what you're talking about are folks that are doing things in the community, feeding, um, housing, 
um, asking kind of these primary questions, getting after some of the collaborative efforts to kind of close some of the gaps, whether that's education or, or whether that's just kind of basic kind of needs that we have as human beings. And that that's, that makes us more human together, which really makes us more Jesus together, the more human we get. And so I feel like that then there's like multiple on-ramps. You know, the first question isn't when you come in is, what do you think about Jesus? The first thing is, let's, um, let's get to know our neighbors in these places. And as we're doing the work, like we get visited by Jesus and these primary kind of questions about who God is come up in the midst of that work. And in some ways we've divided that um, um, historically and it's coming, it's going to have to come back together. Those, what we do, discipleship and what we do is always embedded together. And I think that there's going to be multiple on-ramps and it's going to look messy like you're talking about. Um, But I think that because of that, we're going to enter into these relationships that are really going to give us, I think, both life and vision. And I just love it when somebody who operates under these church growth, expansive, you know, like attractional model type deal and they're starting a separate campus with video venue yeah, and it's yeah. the homogeneous. And then they look at our model or what I'd yeah. say model. They just look at us and go, yeah, you're, that's not going to work. You know, and I'm thinking, watch COVID <laughs> is going to relegate you to a different place. Right. Um, yeah, because there's something about the way that Chapwood has done it, which really takes context. Like um, it's not about exporting a person. It's about understanding the context and the relationships and knowing that the spirit of God, like in a sense, broods over the chaos of that context to draw something out. And so it's not just kind of bringing in a big footprint and saying, this is how we do it. Let's export it. But it's like coming up, it's, it's being in the context, asking the question, what's happening, right? That's, that's one of the names of God. Well, at least Stephen Verney says that you can translate the name of God in the Old Testament, I am that I am, as something is happening. Hmm. And so to look at a context and say, God, what's happening? Is to really be involved in, in the happening of God. And I think that's what this church has done in those places, is not just kind of export a video in, but has said, God, what are you doing in Spring Branch, Northern Spring Branch? What are you doing in the school systems? What are you doing with this kind of diverse community called the Upper Room? What are you doing with Generaciones? You know? And that's what I, what I love about being here is, you know, I believe that I've been given certain gifts, some things mm-hmm. I do well, some things I don't do well. And one of the things I know I, I tend to... Um, portray a lack of humility sometimes to other people. Mm-hmm. I always tell people I'm proud of my humility <laughs> and some people call, but, but I've always had this always underline is, is, a, is a confidence. Yes. But there's always underlying. It's like, I don't have to be the center of this. And I don't know what it is in me that God wired me in a certain way to say, I don't have to be the center of, ev- of, of everything that we do. I have my role and I have what I do. And then to bring you on, and to make you a partner to, to utilize our staff, to utilize our worship pastors, yeah. and to elevate their role and the visionary leadership that we go forward. It's not one person. If it is one person, we're going to be severely hamstrung and limited. Yeah. And I just don't think that's a good way uh, to move and live. It's, so is it harder? Yes, it's harder. But as they say, no pain, no gain. Yeah. The harder way is always the better way. And it's healthier. You know, I think like it frees you being who you are, um, like frees us up to be who we are, right? I mean, knowing that you're holding the gifts that God has given you over this whole thing in terms of the way that you think brilliantly about systems allows me to think nutty about the edges, right? Knowing that I'm tethered to the center, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's, I just think there's something about the they way. They told th- me that about you. What about? That you were nutty. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of trail mix here. (laughs) What else? Anything fun? Anything funny? Anything (sighs) exciting? (sighs) Is there questions we could ask each other? No. No. I don't want want any serious. No, No, I don't want anything deep. Okay. like what's a movie you've watched in the last week that you've like, that you've liked or something you've seen? So a movie that I've watched. Yeah. So, um, we went through 
course, at the, at the first, can Besides we call Hamilton. it quarantine one? And then quarantine, like first quarantine, we did the Harry Potter movies yeah. every night, like eight nights in a row. And I thought, you know, what a hell to live in. But we made it. <laughs> what a hell and, to live in. <laughs> no, it was actually, they were cute. Yeah. Uh, the, this, I wouldn't say the second quarantine. This is what I call, there was this first one was the stay-at-home order. Now this is the stay-at-home recommendation that we're in. And in this one, we decided to go back and watch the superhero, Marvel superhero okay. movies. But we wanted to watch <gasps> them in chronological order based on, like, when they happened in time. So even though, like, Captain Marvel was recent, you watched her movie second because she was back in the 90s or something like that. All right, whatever. But last week, we watched The Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh. And that is that a great? fun movie. Best soundtrack. Yes. That's so good soundtrack. Oh, you watched both of them or just the first well, one? Well, we watched, we, well, I've seen all of them, but we watched that one again for first. some reason because, again, the other thing with it's kids is we invited them to, on the journey with us to watch the Marvel movies, which yeah. they did not want to participate because they were too busy uh, gaining fame at TikTok. And so then, <laughs> now all of a the sudden, they're like, I'd like to watch these movies. And then you're forced to have to watch them again because you're a parent and your whole world revolves around your children, your children. even when they're 20 years old. Yes. It doesn't change, does it? Well, but, you know, it's good. In quarantine, if you think about it. I love it. You know, you, who, who'd have thunk that you'd be able to be stuck with your 20-year-old? Oh, speaking of stuck. <laughs> what's your favorite movie? And then I wanted to talk to you about being stuck. Being stuck? Well, um, you know, we... Uh, uh, Miguel and I watched uh, a Quentin Tarantino movie. He's of the age. Great. Well, those are those are light, <laughs> airy movies. <laughs> I introduced him to Quentin Tarantino, the World War Two one. It's oh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, yeah. Which which horrible he, movie? It, <laughs> no, I mean it's a really good movie. Yeah, but it, yeah. But he's uh, he loves film. He loves thinking about film. He took uh, he's taken two or three film classes in his high school, um, and so um, and he's never watched a Tarantino film. And I, and I thought that would be the easiest one to. And we just so we've talked about it. And Brad Pitt it. does a horrible Southern he, accent. He does. <laughs> he does. So <coughs> stuck. Speaking of being stuck, Harvard. Did you see Harvard came out and said everything will be virtual for the entire next year of school? Now you now you you open the can of worms because think about it. You have an entire industry that is built upon and predicated that these students will come to this school, they'll live on campus, they'll get this education, they'll participate in these things. You can't just fold that tent up. It's the same thing that churches are going to be dealing with. You know, at some point, you're not going to need all that space. You're not going to need all that land. You're not going to need all that building if everything becomes more digital and located around in the community is more engagement of the church dispersed in the world. Yep. It's not going to be located. So, you know, University of Oklahoma, beautiful campus, beautiful school. I'm sure all these others are as well. And, you know, what's going to happen when half of your students are now online yeah i mean you don't need all those buildings yeah and who's going to buy all that land in lubbock <laughs> i hope no one listens to this in lubbock i love lubbock i'll buy it texas I'll... tech a great basketball school i mean football school i mean everything it's a great school it's a great it's school a great, John. yeah it's be a great careful school. tread lightly but yeah i mean what are you going to do with all that space so they're not going to be willing so what schools have done to fix that for them is they'll say like so the standard and accreditation agencies are owned and operated by whom the schools right and so in order for your degree to be accredited which like some of these onlines are not a few of them might be but they're going to say you have to have two-thirds of your coursework has to be done in residency in order for you to get a degree from the University of Oklahoma. So you can't have half of it online or two-thirds online. You can only have so many hours online, right? Mm -hmm. That protects the institution, protects their budget, protects their income so that they don't lose that. If all of a sudden you could do it all online and have a fully accredited you know, degree from the University of Oklahoma and never had to go on campus, 
they couldn't make their model work. And small universities are going to get killed. The pri- they're going to go away. They're, yeah. I think about like SPU, Seattle Pacific University, where Michelle went, or Azusa Pacific, or, you know, any, I, I wonder what's going to happen with some of the Wesley, yeah. like the Wiley College. Or Centenary. Uh, yeah. yeah, all these. They're going to go away. A lot of them are going to go away. Or be so drastically downsized. And so what happens is, here's the vicious cycle. So you offer more online to keep more students, it. <laughs> but you're basically seeding physical location territory, which means you can't afford the yeah. structure of all the buildings and you can't afford all the pro- professors. The, last, and the last 20 years, it seemed like that like universities have been in this race to kind of, because they've realized that students are their clients and they've had, so they've built, they've built these dormitories that have like state of the art kind of cooking stuff and living arrangements. And then these, um, the rec, you know, the, the, the rec spaces now have lazy river pools and climbing walls. Oh yeah. I mean, when you go, that's a big thing. They're trying to recruit you for that. It's all based on being located there. So we have, uh, kind of just talked about everything. I call this potpourri day. Potpourri day. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It was, uh, Podcast number 21. It was 21. And, 2021. Um, 21, and we've got, we'll, we're going to take a couple weeks off, and then we're going to come back and get after it again with more guests, and, and fun to be had by all. <laughs> That'll be fun all around. I can't wait, John. I know you can't. So uh, I hope folks will go back and check out some of the previous episodes if you haven't been able to mm. watch them or keep up with them. First week of August, we'll get back on the A train. Right on. First week of August. And then I don't know, is the season last 20? A season can last however many episodes we want it to. And season could be two episodes, like or it could be 21 episodes, or it could be 121 uh, episodes. Yeah. There's no rules here. No rules. Anyway, I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy.